Good afternoon, everybody. This is Dan Beckworth, Director of Managed Accounts here at Logan Capital Management. I'm joined this afternoon by Bill Fitzpatrick, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager of our Value Team at Logan Capital Management. Thought it'd be a great time to get Bill on the line and talk about 2020 and some of the challenges that took place in that year. Uh, Bill, take us through what was a rough year for value and what excites you today. Uh, yes, indeed. 2020 was a very difficult year for anyone in the value discipline. If you were not part of the work from home trade, you were essentially left out in the cold. Uh, but really what excites us the most is, is the bottom-up work that we do and the valuation that currently resides in our portfolio. So to give you an idea, our strategy today, our concentrated value strategy, uh, trades at about 13.7 times forward earnings and offers a 4.3% dividend yield. Now, our work is, is very much balance sheet sensitive. We want robust balance sheets. Uh, we go to great lengths to make sure the dividends are indeed are preserved. And that typically gives us nice downside protection. Uh, but what I wanted to do today was, was focus on uh, really the upside potential regarding earnings growth. So we don't talk about that oftentimes in the value discipline. We get so caught up in the, in the balance sheet component. But to give you an idea of a couple of our names, uh, AbbVie is the one that's right at the top of the list. Uh, big pharmaceutical company currently offers a 4.7% dividend yield and trades at nine times forward earnings. Uh, and to give you an idea of how strong they've been performing underneath the hood, they're going to grow their earnings. They'll, they'll report next week, and they're expected to grow their earnings 17% uh, in what was a very difficult 2020. And then they're projected to grow by another 17% in 2021. So really, you're getting very good fundamental performance without any recognition from the marketplace. And, and we think there are a number of reasons why that could change. And we think 2021 could be a very good year for value. Well, that's great. Um, there's a lot going on, certainly in the world, around the virus and vaccine. Um, I'm curious to see how that plays into the view of uh, value-based investing. Uh, it plays right down the middle. So if you want to talk about value, you pretty much have to talk about the vaccine. And if you look, so despite a difficult year last year, the fourth quarter was actually fairly kind to value. And really, things started to turn around on November 6th when Pfizer announced their successful vaccine. And that was really the turnaround. And we had identified that earlier. Um, really, the thinking was when the vaccine did arrive, you would get a more of a broadening out in terms of economic strength. Um, and that would certainly benefit some of the companies that don't have necessarily very high top line growth, um, which is where uh, some of our portfolio names reside. Uh, and that's exactly what took place. And so it can, assuming we get continued good developments on the vaccine front, we think that broadening now continues. We think it goes beyond technology to many other sectors. Um, and we think we're positioned very well for that. So there's a lot of changes in November. You think about the election, um, certainly an historic uh, scene. Um, is there an impact to the portfolio? Is there any measurable impact that we can talk about um, in, in what you guys are buying? Yeah, you know, I'd say there's a lot of moving parts politically. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, but I think if you look at the new administration in Washington, I think the one area that um, we are starting to already see some, uh, some recent developments would be in regards to the energy sector. So Joe Biden's had a very busy first week, uh, but he did do a couple things energy-wise uh, that caught our attention. Not necessarily as a surprise, uh, but it was noteworthy. So they, he essentially killed the Keystone pipeline, um, which we expected. We weren't surprised by that. He also put in place a 60-day moratorium uh, new oil and gas leases. Um, that, again, wasn't, didn't come out of left field, 
but it does speak to what we're probably going to see over the next couple of years, um, which is limits on the supply side. And I think when you factor that in to the oil and gas markets outside the US, and really I'm referring to OPEC, where you're surprisingly seeing very good discipline. So they announced supply cuts about a year ago, and they're actually adhering to that and continue to adhere to that. So all of a sudden you've got quite a bit of supply coming off market. And if demand comes back, and again, this ties into the vaccine developments, uh, there's a lot of pent up demand. We all wanna go travel again. We wanna go visit family and friends. Um, and that could very easily bring oil demand back up towards 100 million barrels a day. And all of a sudden the balance is very tight again, and that likely drives oil prices higher. So that's a near-term impact politically, but there are certainly going to be other things to watch as the year develops. Gotcha. That's helpful. And you know, when you think about value-based investing, you really can't talk about value without a very important sector within it. It's financials. Um, what's your outlook there? Yeah, financials. Well, it's, it's twofold there. Uh, number one is the interest rate environment. Hard to get too excited on that one, particularly on the short end of the curve. We know the Fed is going to stay around zero um, for at least another year, probably two or three years. Uh, but we are seeing very modest backups in long-term bond yields. Uh, that does help the spread for the banks. Uh, so that can help a little bit. We're really, we're not relying on that. I think it's really the, the other levers that give us nice confidence in terms of the financials. And they've done a real nice job in terms of cutting their cost base. Uh, they've adapted to the digital model, which has been very helpful to them. And in terms of loan losses, they've been very reasonable. And a lot of that is from the income protection programs that the government has put in place. But we do think the banks are likely over-provisioned for losses. And so they could release those reserves as the year goes on. Um, and that would be very supportive of their earnings story on the financials. And I'll mention JP Morgan quickly, uh, because there's a name, their, their earnings are gonna be down in 2020. They were, uh, gonna try and get them back towards their 2019 levels next year. But they're already forecasted to earn 9% in 2022 in what we already know is going to be a very difficult environment in terms of interest income. So they're increasing their fee income, they're cutting costs, they're doing all the things that we like to see that we think the market will recognize at some point. Uh, these are great insights, Bill. I appreciate it. Any final thoughts for the balance of the year? I know it's January. We've got a lot to look forward to, but any other comments you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, I would just reiterate sort of the, the broadening out theme. I think there are opportunities today for more global cooperation. I think that can only be a good thing. And it doesn't have to be, we, we talk about growth and value. It doesn't have to be one stealing from the other. I think the broadening out can, can be very inclusive, and I think it can be a really good market for, for equities in general. Um, in particular, when you're starting a lower base, like you are in value equities with that 4% dividend yield that you get in our strategy, and don't pay a premium on earnings, uh, that certainly excites us, um, but things don't have to be limited to the value side. Interesting. Bill, always thank you for your time. I appreciate you carving out and doing these things for us. If you want more information about our value-based strategies or other strategies of Logan Capital Management, we invite you to our website. It's www.logancapital.com. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Bill. And as a reminder, 
This material represents an assessment of the market and economic environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. Forward-looking statements are subject to certain risks and uncertainties. Actual results, performance, or achievements may differ materially from those expressed or implied. Information is based on data gathered from what we believe are reliable sources, it is not guaranteed as to accuracy, does not purport to be complete, and is not intended to be used as a primary basis for investment decisions. It should also not be construed as advice meeting the particular investment needs of any investor. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Indices are unmanaged and investors cannot invest directly in an index. Unless otherwise noted, performance of indices do not account for any fees, commissions, or other expenses that would be incurred. Returns do not include reinvested dividends. The Standard Poor's 500 is an unmanaged group of securities considered to be representative of the stock market in general. It is a market-value-weighted index, with each stock's weight in the index proportionate to its market value. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price-weighted average of 30 actively traded blue-chip stocks, primarily industrials, but includes financials and other service-oriented companies. The components, which change from time to time, represent between 15 and 20% of the market value of all NYSE stocks. Rebalancing and reallocation can entail transaction costs and tax consequences that should be considered when determining a rebalancing reallocation strategy.